Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad. Welcome to this episode. I've got a guest. I'm always excited to have a guest on the podcast. It's always a nice change of pace. On today's podcast, I have Nora Dunn, also known as the professional hobo. Nora is one of the people that I've known online probably the longest since I've started travel blogging. Fun fact, back in the day, she wrote an article and we were trying to figure out which one it was, but she wrote something on Lifehacker, which mentioned Fox Nomad uh, way back when my site was pretty brand new. And it was one of the first sort of viral or sort of the, the biggest kind of uh, mentions for my site. So it was a really big help for my site at the time. And you might recognize Nora from either a video I put out in 2019 or in March of 2020. So in 2019, I asked all of my blogging friends where they would recommend that you travel in 2020. Obviously, 2020 didn't go the way any of us planned. So she was back on a, a video in 2020 in March, uh, just giving everybody was sharing sort of uh, what they've been doing during quarantine and what lockdown has been like where they are. So um, you might recognize Nora from there. And you can find Nora on theprofessionalhobo.com. You can also find her wherever you listen to podcasts. She just launched a new podcast with Gary Arndt, another well-known travel blogger called The League of Extraordinary Travelers Podcast. They also have a Facebook group, so you can find them wherever you're listening to podcasts. Make sure you give them five-star ratings when you get to check out the podcast. That's always a help. Hey, and while you're doing that, uh, you know, if you haven't done that for this podcast, you know, why not? That would, uh, that's always a big help. Uh, it'll make me happy, helps more people find the podcast and it'll make you happy too. Cause you just made me happy. Isn't that, isn't that nice? So, uh, yeah. Anyway, you can also find the league of extraordinary travelers podcast, Facebook group on Facebook. I will leave a link to all of these places, all of these, you know, all these online spaces, down in the show notes. And in the show notes, you can also find a link to Nora's book, How to Get Free Accommodation Around the World. I'll also link to that. A lot, a lot of great tips, a lot of great information and advice. Uh, just before we get right into the interview, a few things that have happened on the site since then. Um, YFox Premium was released, and I've got a lot to say about that in, the, in an upcoming episode, just about the development of that. Uh, it's the biggest release of to YFox is the biggest update to YFox since it's launched. Uh, it's been a, I want to say 20 month process. It's been a very, very, very long process to get all of these features, which you have requested, which I wanted to put in into YFox. It basically, for those of you who don't know, YFox is an app that I developed, which gives you the Wi-Fi passwords to over 1300. Now we're close to 1400 We're almost at 1400 airports around the world. So there are thousands of passwords there, um, you know, lounge passwords, free network passwords, hidden networks. And YFox Premium now, what it does is imagine that you are traveling and you've got a layover, you just get to the airport. It's going to give you a notification with the best connection for that airport. So you're going to get the network name and the password where to connect to. If the airport has time limits on that network, for example, a lot of airports have free, you know, Wi-Fi, but then they they give you a limit, like 30 minutes or an hour. Wi-Fox will tell you how to get around that, and it all happens offline. You just show up, you land it on your layover, your plane lands, hits the tarmac. Wi-Fox will detect that you are at that airport, and it will give you the best connection there. I've also rehauled the rating system, which 
I'll talk more about it. It wasn't before this release, it wasn't a front-facing system, but basically there's a a verification system that has been running on Wifox and that's been sort of manually, basically sorting connections by strength and so on. And now when you're at an airport, Wifox is not just going to give you any old password or any old network connection. It's going to show you the best network connection, the fastest, the most reliable connection, depending on where you are in the airport and all of it works offline, and it comes with the great price of free for seven days. So you can find Wifox Premium. Right now it's available for iOS. The Android version is being developed. So uh, Android users, that's coming out in not too distant, in the not too distant future from now. Um, But if you're on iOS, you can check out Wifox Premium for free. You can download it and try it for seven days. Let me know what you think. A lot of the new features are because of your feedback and a lot of the upcoming features will be because of your feedback. So definitely let me know. All right. Uh, one other thing that I want to mention that I'm also going to get to in an upcoming podcast. I'm going to go more behind the scenes. But if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wanted to cook, um, you know, if you've ever thought of what is the best food, right? Like what, what, what are my favorite foods? Who's the best cook that I know? Many of you are going to say your mom. A lot of you are going to say your mom, and that would be my answer as well. So it was really fun earlier uh, in the week. I just released a video, how to cook Turkish vegan food. So this is there, you know, the the big misconception with Turkish food is that it's meat heavy, which is true depending on regions. But a lot of the Turkish traditional home foods are either vegan or vegetarian, just, you know, by default without any ingredient changes or swapping. And to help show you one of those vegan dishes, I had my mom help me and show us all how to cook majumek köftesi, which is lentil meatballs. Lentil, well, they're not meatballs, they're just lentil balls. Um, So that is up on YouTube. I hope you check it out. I think you'll find it very interesting. It's a cool, healthy little snack. um, And it's going to impress all your friends when you show up because it looks a lot harder to make than it is to actually make. So anyway, so that is up on YouTube. Again, talking more about that uh, in an upcoming episode. But right now, I'm very excited uh, to share this conversation I had with Nora. It was really interesting. We get into a lot of things. What we generally talk about is digital nomadism dead? Is being able to work where you want in the world, is all of that over? Is, is are our travel days, oh, the good old days of 2019, is that gone? Well, actually, Nora gives us some, uh, she gave me some good perspective, gave me a much more positive outlook than perhaps I had initially. And uh, I was very thankful for that. And I think you'll find this conversation very interesting. All right. I think we're good. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Hi, Nora. So I never know how to start the podcast. I never know how to end the podcast. So I think the best way to start is if you could introduce yourself, and then uh, I wanted to talk to you about probably one of the most miserable things we could talk about, but it seems like it's it's 2020 style, the death of ta- travel and digital nomadism, um, and you came to mind, so. <laughs> I love how when you think, let's talk about the death of digital nomadism. Who to talk to but Nora Dunn, the longest standing <laughs> digital nomad. <laughs> 
Well, uh, anyway, thank you very much for having me on uh, the show. I'm really excited to to be here and to chat with you. I have known you and known of you, and we've known and corresponded lightly with one another for well over a decade now. So uh, it's really great to uh, connect this way. Uh, so my name is Nora Dunn. Uh, I'm known online as The Professional Hobo, uh, and my online home is theprofessionalhobo.com. And it was born uh, in 2006, ultimately, when I sold everything I owned in Canada, including a busy financial planning practice, in order to embrace my dreams of traveling the world long term uh, with an open-ended itinerary in a very culturally immersive way. Uh, I'm as surprised as the next guy that I lasted as long as I did. Um, I, I kind of, you know, I was open to the idea that it might be like I'd work it out of my system in six months and go back to the way things were. But no, I actually, I traveled full time for 12 years uh, before returning to Toronto, which also surprised me as much as anyone else, uh, and establishing a home base from which I continue to travel for about six months of every year. Pandemics, of course, notwithstanding. So uh, I, it's now been 14 years that I have uh, had a travel lifestyle and ultimately a, uh, a career uh, that is location independent that allows me to work from anywhere in the world uh, in, in, in a digitally nomadic fashion or, or a location independent fashion. All these words are newfangled things, you know, like they, they didn't exist when, when I got started. So um, I, I feel like, you know, get off my lawn. I feel like an old man <laughs> of travel blogging, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes. And uh, what it means is ultimately uh, being on the forefront of, uh, of a trend. Um, it meant that I hit every bump uh, along the learning curve. I mean, I stumbled my way into being a digital nomad uh, as ungracefully as you could possibly imagine. Um, but certainly in, in many um, rewarding ways. Yeah, I mean, and, and the reason I thought of you uh, about digital nomadism and sort of whether or not it's ending right now or just on temporary pause, because I feel like, I, I, you know, I follow all your stuff and I feel like we, we've kind of had similar trajectories in the sense that I used to be travel, travel, travel. My schedule was go to as many places as possible. And I've realized over the years that uh, I don't like doing that for a lot of reasons. One, it's harder to keep maintain a business that way. If I'm creating content, I can't really get into the content of a place. I can't really, you know, write about it or make videos if I'm constantly on the move, you know, so I need that mm -hmm. slow down time, which I did kind of do. I'd have kind of a base every six to eight months, but, you know, I, I feel it's easier for me just to be in one place, even if that, you know, even if it's 10 months a year, home base or a year or something like that and it moves but um, this is kind of the first time that I think any of us have been in a situation where it's like I can't I can't really go anywhere I can't just jump off to a place <laughs> which is very first world problem I know but um, so it's interesting so even though I wonder how it would have affected my travels t 10 years ago when I was like just bouncing around from country to country trying to see as much as possible. Um, but it makes me wonder now, are we in this new stage of the end of, of how it was before, the end of digital nomads? And what does that mean for, for travelers, for travel blogging? Um, I, I just read a report that international travel probably won't get back to pre-COVID levels until 2024. 
I don't know what if you, what what are your thoughts? I, I kind of fluctuate between positive and negative. I I, I can't see where this is going to go in terms of traveling. Well, and I think this is a. a- Great topic to get into, and I have two uh, trains of thought, uh, two slightly opposing trains of thought, actually. Uh, and one is uh, the the life of a digital nomad, with or without a pandemic, I believe has a shelf life, and I'm certainly willing to discuss that in further detail uh, with you. And that that taps into what you just said about finding for yourself that uh, being traveling all the time was not uh, conducive to the the life and lifestyle and business that you wanted to run. Uh, but then there's also another other train of thought that we can explore, which is uh, the the greater picture, the beyond 2024 uh, projections kind of picture. And and the pandemic has actually um, moved a huge number of uh, companies online. Uh, and and they are able to operate remotely. Uh, I read the other day that um, pre-pandemic, three percent of the workforce was able to work remotely, and that is now forty percent. Forty percent of the workforce can work remotely, and what that means is they now have the freedom, should they choose, to adopt a digital nomad lifestyle. Now, only a small portion of those people would actually sell everything they owned to be the you know the one hundred and fifty percent digital nomad, uh, proverbially home. Uh, but I also think that that um, a much greater number of remote workers will uh, be embracing uh, the location-independent freedoms that they have uh, in taking many more long-term trips, and you know, in exploring the idea of working for six months or even a year in this place or that place. Which I, I would also generously put them into the digital nomad category. I don't think you have to be a hundred percent homeless to to adopt the moniker of digital nomad. Although if you're going to be a purist, then yes, you need to be homeless. Um, and maybe that therein lies the difference between digital nomad and location independent. Maybe location independent is the ability to work from anywhere, but you still have a home base and digital nomad is going all in. I don't know. So on one side, on that side, I think that actually the digital nomad lifestyle has just been born, truly. And that we were we were kind of the test group, uh, and then on the other side, I think if you're really looking at the the purest digital nomad lifestyle as a, as a lifestyle, I don't think that it is ultimately maintainable in the long long run. Um, and so, <laughs> take it where you wish from here. Now you brought up a very interesting point because I have a friend who has been trying to work from home more, so has an office job and has been trying to convince the the bosses to allow you know them to work from home more and the, the argument has been well we'll give you a day or two a week you know something something little and we don't know how your productivity will be and all this stuff and i feel like now we have this grand experiment that's taken place where a lot of companies have shown that yeah people actually tend to work more when they're home they tend to be on their email more they tend to be more productive they tend to be happier, which I think makes productive workers. Um, I do feel, though, when people can travel, so when things kind of get back to normal, I feel companies will sort of start to try to reel people in. I feel like that won't last. The work remote sort of uh, culture I don't think will last. I think companies want to keep people in an office for a lot of reasons, but I think it, and Netflix just came out, which surprised me that they said, 
we want people back in the office as soon as this is done. This is not, this is not going to last. Whereas like Apple, for example, has said, Hey, you know what? We may, we may try this out for longer. So I, I think there's going to be a rebound effect, but hopefully now a lot of workers have this, you know, this case study where they can say, Hey, I was working from home for like a year and you saw my productivity, you saw how it was. So what's the argument for me to actually go into an office? And uh, I think that there's something else that we can add to that equation. And that is, um, I, I think you're absolutely right that a bunch of companies are going to rebound, but then there's also going to be a number of companies who are going to look at their own bottom lines and they're going to look at uh, not only the productivity of their employees and, and evaluate um, as objectively as possible, whether or not their productivity has increased or decreased, but also they will be looking at their expenditures and they'll be looking at the real estate that they are uh, leasing in the form of office space. Uh, and they may realize that that's no longer um, a necessary uh, or, you know, a profit worthy uh, expenditure for them to have. So, uh, and especially too, because so many businesses have been hit as hard as they have, uh, so, you know, world economies have been affected so profoundly that uh, a lot of businesses are looking at all the ways they can to tighten the belt. And I think that eliminating or reducing or reimagining office space is going to be one of those ways. Yeah, I hope so. I, I think, you know, it, it hits so many things. Less people are driving. That's better for the environment. It's better for the roads. It means, in theory, less to maintain those roads and taxes, whether, you know, governments cut taxes, I don't think so. But, you know, it, it basically means that the person driving, so if you have a car, that's less expenses for your car or subway or whatever. There are all of these benefits. People are home with their families more, which which is probably a good thing, especially if you have kids and so on. So I think it's overall a positive effect. I'm kind of, in a way, I guess, if we're going to look at the bright side of pandemic, that's one of them is that people can work at home and now everybody has their, their home office space set up. So I see a lot of people, you know, just on YouTube or whatever. And I'm like, ah, they, now they've got a home office. You can kind of tell journalists are doing it. So I think it's, yeah, I hope it sticks around. I, I, I hope it stays and I hope it's like a global trend. I think that would be good for, for most everything. I think it's just a net positive really. Uh, and also too, I found that throughout the, um, uh, the pandemic, I mean, there are a bunch of big, digital nomads out there during the pandemic and that have remained and actually a, a mutual friend of ours, Wandering Earl uh, is one. He, he bunked down in, in uh, Bali for a, a number of months uh, and then uh, returned to the States and then down to Mexico. And uh, obviously perhaps traveling a little more slowly than, than, uh, you know, he normally would have had all borders been open uh, and all countries been uh, fair game. Um, and also very attentively to um, what's responsible, uh, which is a whole other subject. But um, there are, he's not the only one. There's a whole bunch of digital nomads out there that have been able to get through the pandemic um, relatively gracefully. Uh, and that is, um, so the pandemic didn't even in that sense necessarily kill the, the, the lifestyle of being a digital nomad, it had perhaps made it a little more difficult uh, or considerably more difficult with closed borders. Uh, but that is also ultimately a temporary measure. Um, and, and I say temporary, I mean, temporary could still be years. Uh, you know, the Canadian border is closed. Uh, it may well remain closed well into next year. Uh, Australia and New Zealand are also two countries that are renowned for having ridiculously tight 
borders right now, uh, even to their own citizens who are trying to return home. So, um, and this is not going to, you know, it's not, you know, two months, it's not, you know, the world is now your oyster again. This is going to be a process that we will slowly back, ease back into uh, having open borders, uh, which unto itself enables a digital nomad lifestyle a, a lot more easily. But I think that if we want to hit the road, um, you know, there, and there will be measures in place for us to be able to do it safely and securely, but that is going to take some time. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the biggest kind of cork or linchpin or whatever the word is that when Europe opens up, so when the EU opens up, I think then we're going to see international travel kind of sort of circulate because there, there's a bottleneck there where, you know, they're not really opening up. They, they have to, I guess, going to have to open up altogether unless they, you know, if they want to keep open borders and such. And so there's that bottleneck. There's also the situation in the U.S., which is uh, a mess, I could say. And a lot of countries don't want, you know, Americans traveling there to spread COVID. And so there are these two blocks. The Europeans are going to be very cautious and wait, I think, until things are very set. Um, and it's not right now looking great. So the numbers are kind of going up, which was sort of expected. Second wave, mm -hmm. winter, and so on. Um, so I think, yeah, there's this block, but I, I do notice a lot of, I was actually just watching before the call, um, Balden Bankrupt, who's a vlogger that I, I've gotten into. He's great. I, I, I highly recommend him. Um, he's a British guy. He just walks around with the camera and he vlogs. It's so simple. And so he was just in the Czech Republic, Albania, and now he's in Mexico. He was in Belarus for a while. So he's clearly going to the countries where pretty much the borders are completely open right now. So you, I have a feeling in the, in the blogging space, you'll see a lot of Mexico, you'll see a lot of Albania, Croatia, Turkey, those countries which have pretty much just opened up. So, um, but I don't think it's going to be like it was for a while. So where you could just hop off to go to Reykjavik and then maybe swing down to Portugal for a while. And then, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be like that, but... Um, no, but you know, I think this also ties into the the, the other track that I had mentioned, which is um, you know, living a lifestyle, a, a permanent or relatively permanent, long term, sustainable lifestyle as a digital nomad. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I learned uh, at some point that the only way for it to be sustainable is it for it to be slow as molasses. So when I go to a place, I like to be there for three months usually at a minimum, I mean, a month at a minimum, but if, if even moving every month, you know, if you're not used to this lifestyle, that might sound like, oh, and a luxurious amount of time to spend in every location. Uh, but the reality of it is, well, no, actually, it takes a lot of time and energy to, you know, figure out where you're going, figure out how to get there, figure out where to stay, uh, figure out how to live there. And then just as soon as you've kind of figured that out, you got to figure out where the next place is going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it really, really requires months, I think, in a location to, to, to settle into the lifestyle and also to get any work done. Uh, so at, as an example, um, Thailand now has announced, which is a huge digital nomad hotspot, has announced these special long stay visas that they are going to be um, introducing. And I, and I don't know whether or not that's going to be a temporary or permanent um, measure, but it's definitely ha is being introduced to boost the economy. 
And uh, this is going to allow people to uh, enter Thailand and to stay for, I forgot what it is, nine months, I think. Um, a long time, certainly a lot longer than you normal, than you can at the moment um, uh, with, the, with the visas that they currently have. Uh, at, but they require a 14-day quarantine. Uh, and there's a list of approved hotels that you can quarantine in and they'll send you your meals and whatnot. And, and for a digital nomad, that's actually not a big deal. Like I would have no problem going to a new location and quarantining for 14 days. I'll get a ton of work done and, yeah. <laughs> you know, just reset, you know, reset my inner clock and get over jet lag and just, just chill out and be, I, I, I guess it's kind of ironic. I'm a bit of a homebody, which is kind of funny you know, <laughs> having traveled the world full time for 12 years, you wouldn't call me a homebody, but I, I, ha I like my little routine. So to have a two week quarantine routine uh, in a new destination, no problem, especially if it means that I can then be there for six months uh, or, as an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the, the, the freedom of the digital nomad lifestyle, the freedom to really set your terms. So, so what if I can't do a, you know, hop from Reykjavik to Madeira to Madagascar? Uh, I, that's okay. Because for me, the, 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 the joy of living around the world, the joy of being a digital nomad has been to really immersively explore local culture. And the only way you can do that is if you stay for a while. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's so many times where I'll meet, you know, friends or people that have been to a place that I've been. So have you been there? Oh, yeah. And then we'll kind of go through the things that we've seen. And if I've stayed there a lot, a lot longer, I've seen so many more experiences and things than, than if you're just at a place for two days or three days or, or a week even, you know. So, yeah, I think it's good that that people maybe want to travel slower. I think now, especially there's this sort of this social media influence or push for people to go to a new place and take a picture, a new place, take a picture, a new place, take a picture. But I don't, yeah, I mean, you can't see as much that way. So I think this is a good thing. I think people taking their time, like it's okay if you want to spend a month in a city or if you have two weeks a year vacation, it's okay to spend it in one place. You don't have to go to yes. 10 places, you know. Um, you'll meet more people. You'll hit all the touristic sites. you get those out of the way. Maybe get over jet lag. You know, the, those routines of like how, like if you get an Airbnb, for example, like how the neighborhood runs, you know, that's part of the culture if you're in a new place. Like, yeah. How does, what time do people get up? What is it like at 10 a.m.? What's the grocery store like? You know, that kind of stuff I find totally fascinating because it's so, it's so different everywhere, you know? I can spend hours in supermarkets. That's like one of my favorite things to do is go to the grocery. Like when I get to a new place, I'll just go to the grocery store and I'll just wander around. I'll look at exactly everything you just said. You know, when are people out? What are they shopping for? Who's shopping? What are they buying? How do you buy stuff? Uh, it's And it's all just amazing. Uh, and it's such a window into a local culture. And like you say, that's that's not something that most people would think of doing on a, on a, a one or two week vacation. Uh, and yet if you did, if you afforded yourself that luxury, I think that you can, you can learn a lot more uh, about, about the place you're visiting. Yeah, I mean, even pandemic in, in, I mean, I was in Turkey, I was in Istanbul, and I saw in the news, you know, in the US, people are taking toilet paper and hoarding mostly toilet paper. That was the news. 
but it's yeah. funny. So in Turkey, they announced the first lockdown of like, I think it was four days. We cannot leave your apartment for four days. Two hours before that was enacted, uh, which was great planning. Um, what's interesting is after that four days, I went to the grocery store and uh, the things that were missing were tea, yogurt, and bread, which was like... All right, that, that's not surprising. The yogurt, the tea, and the bread. I mean, those are like the staples in every Turkish house. So it would be interesting to see like a study of what did people panic buy in every country. It would be really interesting <laughs> to, to kind of see. So, wow, that's fascinating. I I, uh, I listened to an interview uh, with Stephen King fairly early on into the pandemic, and the the fellow who was interviewing him said uh, said, "Wow, this this could be. I mean, if if this were not our current reality, I could imagine this being the subject of of a Stephen King novel." <laughs> and and as Stephen King said, "Yeah," he said, "This is this has all the ingredients of something that I would write." He said, "But the one thing I could never possibly have predicted was the toilet paper, the run on toilet paper." <laughs> <laughs> He said that that was, I'm not even creative enough for that. <laughs> you know, and when you travel enough, in my mind, toilet paper is not the first thing I would go for in, in, a, in, a, in a total no. emergency. I'm like, if you've got a bathroom around, you've got a shower, in a worst case situation, you're, you're not too bad <laughs> off. But like rice, you know, lentils, the kind of dry <laughs> food things, you know. So it's kind of interesting. I wonder if, if, if most people who've traveled have, have had that I can't find toilet paper. There's no toilet paper in this bathroom, or I'm in a place that just doesn't use toilet paper. I'm going to figure this out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. Definitely. I, I think that's one of those rites of passage for a, for a traveler at some point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Your barrier to cleanliness just in general will, will sort of shift, I think. Um, there's a couple of... <laughs> couple of countries that come to mind. I'm not going to call them out, but I think <laughs> some very largely populated countries where, um, yeah, you, you have some different experiences when it comes to hygiene. So, um, <laughs> and I think another benefit of people not traveling, I, I guess everybody before pandemic, if you had the opportunity you want, and I think it maybe it's related a little bit to age, is the travel CCC style. And I think everybody kind of who gets into this digital nomadism kind of goes through that, um, both because it's like, wow, I can do all this stuff, you know. And then there's also a little competitive nature to it as well, I think. I do think, especially if you're counting online. Countries. How many, yeah, counting countries. Yeah, I, I do that too. And um, And then I think the flip side of it is now there's this, massive environmental impact, which I think is good. You know, people are flying less and I've been trying to fly less over the last few years. I'm like, I'd fly way too much. Like I just, you know, when I could take a train, maybe I can rearrange my travel schedule so that more of it is, you know, on the ground as opposed to flying or, you know, and so on. So I think those things are really good. It makes me wonder now if, um, if people are going to change their travel habits, if that's going to be permanent and whether or not, you know, we were talking about people traveling now, whether or not people are traveling too soon. Are, are we, are we all, is that competitive nature to travel for some people? You know, like I, I know a lot of people are flying halfway around the world for their vacation. I'm thinking you could probably just take a vacation. There's probably a beach near you, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever, you know, there's so many things. So I wonder, I, if people are traveling too soon, 
now. Um, I think that there's a, that there's a lot that you just said in there that is, uh, uh, you know, can be further explored. Um, I certainly think that the travel industry in general is, uh, is taking the opportunity to rethink uh, what travel will be uh, when it is more open again. Uh, the, and there are lots of conversations happening about ways to, to travel more sustainably, not only from an environmental standpoint, but also in a socially responsible way. Uh, the buzzwords prior to the pandemic were things like over tourism and uh, I think that that's something also that that uh, a lot of change makers and innovators in the travel industry are are, are looking to to change uh, okay how can we rethink how we all travel uh, because also too you know that you, you mentioned them you know flying halfway around the world for a, a vacation um, you know people may or may not still want to do that or people may or may not even be able to do that, you know, is because of the, the crisis that all the airlines have been in, is that even going to be as, as accessible or affordable, especially when you look at a family of, you know, four or five people trying to buy airfare, uh, you know, out of necessity, uh, people may need to rein in uh, their geographical territory that they're even able to explore. Um, and I think that, that, I mean, there's just, there's so many factors in play uh, regarding what the future of travel will be. And I, I think on the whole, where it, it's obviously all speculation uh, right now, but I think that it can be very constructive speculation. And there are, uh, you know, if you keep your eyes peeled, there are lots of um, webinars uh, you can attend, uh, you know, and, and material out there. I actually just signed up this morning for, there's a website called Retravel Live. And it's a, it's a conversation that's uh, gonna, looks like a, it's gonna be a, going forward, a series of conversations that will be held with really, really innovative thought leaders in the travel industry who are, are rethinking and reimagining what travel will be. And these are people, these are the people who, who can make that happen. So I, I think that a lot of our voices can be heard uh, and that we can also hear a lot of new ways of, of thinking uh, and, and trying to travel a little more consciously than perhaps we have in the past. And maybe that in turn will then shift our paradigm from the the country counting uh, mentalities, you know, CCC mentalities, uh, you know, where you're not a traveler until you've seen X number of places or, uh, you know, traveled for X number of months. And uh, like you said, I think we all suffer, especially it, for digital nomads. <laughs> we've all made the mistakes. We've all tried to go too fast. 2010 was my year. The entire year, the calendar year, uh, I changed uh, accommodation on average every five days. The longest I stayed anywhere that entire year was for two and a half weeks. And I paid the price for it. I mean, I, I it was just kind of the way it went. And a lot of it was overland travel. So I can at least say that I wasn't, you know, an egregious environmental offender that year. Uh, although there were a few international flights, but the, the, the end result was that I was so battered at the end of that, that I needed six months in a near comatose state to recover from it. Uh, and th th those are just one of the, one of the learning experiences that anybody who embarks on a digital nomad lifestyle is going to, is going to have because for each of us, we need to carve out our own personal style and pace of travel. But I certainly do uh, going forward. I do hope that uh, we will all travel a little more consciously uh, and that we will uh, think a lot more and a lot more intentionally, you, you know, perhaps not just a, and, and, and not try to 
chase the Instagram shot that we want to replicate. That blows my mind. The fact that people, I was, I was in Santorini, which I, I frankly, actually, I don't recommend that anybody go for a variety of reasons, but um, the, the, when I was there, uh, the, it's an Instagram shot. That Instagram made Santorini, put Santorini on the map. And the majority of the people who go there, uh, apparently, according to the, the people I was speaking to on Santorini, are, um, uh, they're going for the, the exact Instagram shot. They have the shot. It's their life stream to travel around the world, from generally from a specific country, to get this shot. Uh, and I, I certainly hope if, if on the other side of the pandemic, we can, we can abolish any trend, it's going to be that. Yeah, I did see, I have read a lot of articles where the, the sort of the influencer bubble is, has popped kind of thing, where it's like, you know, the, the shot on the beach or the, this on the, you know, the Instagram thing is kind of, ironically, I'm saying that now, but you know, it's, it, that's kind of really just almost died, I think. I mean, it, I've just read that you know, if you're not selling something, if you don't have a product, you know, right now it's, it's pretty, pretty hard to maintain a business, I guess, if you're just taking Instagram shots. Um, and what a lot of people don't know is there's this, uh, I forget, I think it's called Skylium, but anyway, it's a piece of software I've been using lately playing around with, and it can do, it can put you using AI in any background you want. And it's so good. It's so good. You cannot, I mean, it's so good. You can change, you want sunset light, it's sun, you, now you're in sunset. You want to be under the stars, you're under the stars. You want to be in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's so good that it's, and a lot of people use it, a surprising number of people use it. And a friend of mine sent it to me and was like, did you know a lot of people are using this? I was like, I did not, but I can see, you know, so it's like, yeah, forget forget the Instagram shot. I mean, I guess people yeah. want it, but you know, it's not a reason to travel to most places. Well, and that is that's really interesting. So that really begs a very interesting question because I think um, a lot of the world is social media driven uh, in in ways that are, are probably less than uh, healthy or uh, conducive to <laughs> the healthy operation of society, but that's another conversation. But uh, if we are, so let's say you're going for the Instagram shot, right? I want to go, I want to have that Instagram shot of me in front of that sunset in Santorini. So if I could artificially replicate it, would I get the same satisfaction mm -hmm. versus actually going to see that sunset and taking a selfie versus going to see the sunset and seeing the sunset and forgetting about the selfie? Yeah. So what is it that we really want to do? Do we want to show the world a picture of us somewhere without even caring about the destination? Do we want to take the picture ourselves as a, as a I don't know, whatever, a, a notch in our travel bedpost? Or do we want to actually have that experience? And my personal hope, of course, is that we move more towards actually wanting to have the experiences. Uh, some of the most um, rewarding and cathartic experiences uh, that I've had, I don't have photos of. Uh, because of course I, I, I consciously, I mean, or I would take a few photos and I put the camera away and, and I, I consciously say, I want to be here for this. It's yeah. that, isn't that the moment in the Walter, the secret life of Walter Mitty? Isn't that what he does as well? Right. He yeah. doesn't get the photo in the end. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, that, I think we as a world can learn from this. <laughs> and there's so much background processing that go, it's like when you read a book, there, you're, it stimulates your brain in a way that's different than watching TV, than doing anything else. I talked about it in a, on an earlier podcast, and there's all this imagination that's going on. So it's activating all these different parts of your brain because 
can't see it and so on. And I think when you're traveling, you're just exposed to all these new experiences. You're in a different place. Your mind is very open. It's, it's figuring things out. And when you have your phone in front of you, you're just processing what's on the phone. So you're just like mm-hmm. tunnel visioning yourself. Whereas, you know, who knows what kind of subconscious or unconscious thoughts you're having when you're watching that grand sunset and how that'll impact, you know, your thinking or your outlook down the line, you know? So, I mean, it is, and it is hard, I think, for us, because a lot of times I go to a place specifically because I want to either write about it or I want to take, make a video now these days. And so there's this balance of, I'm seeing something really amazing. Do I want to put my camera down? I did have that earlier this year. I was in Opium Festival in Pakistan and uh, I, I had to put my camera down for half. I just had to, I was like, this is the craziest thing I've seen in a long time. And also when you take your camera out and all these guys are getting high, which I'm pretty sure is not legal. Pretty sure that was not, you know, (laughs) it kind of changes the dynamic as well. So, um, and that is content creators. I think that that is a, a fine line that we that we all need to walk because, uh, it, you know, perhaps many moons ago, it would be okay for a writer to to not be taking a lot of photos. But now for a writer, any kind of writer, whether you're writing as a freelance for other magazines or, or for your own um, blog or vlog, yeah, I can't... You, you, Photos are a necessary requirement, uh, accompaniment to any uh, any articles. So I think that you're absolutely right. There is a fine balance between, okay, get the shots that you need, convey the messages that you want to convey, but then also allow yourself to have that deeper experience. You know, I, I would imagine as soon as you put your camera away in that festival, your experience of the festival changed. And that's something that you can communicate to your readers through through writing or through uh, descriptions later. You know, there's there's nothing stopping you from turning on the camera later and saying, "Oh my gosh, this just happened." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and to perhaps allow the experience to 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 have its own sacred secretness. Yeah, I think yeah there there is that balance, especially you know for us, you know, it's like. I'm consciously thinking about how is this going to turn into content, but at the same time, <laughs> I want this for myself, you know? So I don't know. I, I guess I should ask you, I mean, if I didn't have my site, I would be not, I wouldn't be on social media. I wouldn't write it. I would just, I would never be online. I mean, I think I would hardly be online. I love tech. I love it. But if I didn't have to, like, if I took a trip somewhere, I would, nobody would probably know about it, at least on the internet, I guess. That's sort of my take. I don't know how, have you ever thought about that? How you would be without a site or, you know, without having content to create around it? You know, it's so funny you should mention that. So I I do remember a world. (laughs) I remember, get off my lawn. I remember (laughs) the days before cell phones, before the internet. I remember traveling during those times. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember traveling when you didn't have GPS to Google Maps. You know, I, I don't even actually today, I don't even know how I did it, but I did it. You know, I, I mean, I, I still managed to communicate with people. I still got to where I was going. I navigated, I, I figured things out and I had immersive travel experiences and I connected uh, in many different ways with people. Um, different world, 100%. Uh, nowadays, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm, you know, I'd be, I'd be lost without a data connection, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but by the same token, um, it has also allowed me to travel the world as a content creator. 
if that didn't, I, I mean, I started traveling the world full time before I had a career, before I, I had even um, launched my career as a freelance uh, travel writer, much less uh, a content creator. Uh, so I, I do remember certainly in the early days of travel, um, you know, back in 2006, seven, eight, nine, um, traveling the world in uh, without the the necessary requirement to log every bit of it, uh, or to log it in the way that that we now uh, we now tend to with social media, all these different platforms that require us to be online all the time, and it's kind of a. It, it's a double-edged sword because I think the online world begets, it has allowed more and more of us to travel. Not, not only as content creators, but then also again on the other side with remote work, with the ability to work remotely. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, a huge opening and ability of, of, you know, so many people to, to travel who perhaps didn't have that ability um, because of their career or their finances or, or, or what have you. But by the same token, it has affected how we all travel. It has affected all of our collective travel experiences. Uh, and, and like you said earlier, you know, you, you tunnel vision into your phone out of a perceived necessity to maybe figure out where you're going uh, or, or you know, whatever it's going to be. And, and, and that does enable you to get where you're going quicker, but then it also prevents you necessarily from seeing what you might see along the way. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is, that is a challenge. It's, and, and it's kind of a, all right, this is the world we live in. I don't know that that's necessarily going to change. I think one of the things that going forward, uh, instead of, um, lamenting the old days, uh, and, and wishing that we could go back, it ain't going to happen, right? Technology is not going to go away. It's only going to become a more and more prevalent part of our lives. So then how do we harness it to our advantage instead of allowing it to control us? Yeah, I think, I mean, I also grew up without the internet. I was sort of, I feel lucky to be in a generation where I've, I know what it's like before and I know what it's like after. So I have siblings who are younger with, you know, earlier generation that have cousins that are a lot younger and I can kind of gauge how much they use their, you know, you can just see it. It's, it's like, I don't use my phone too often. I'm, I'm not great about it, but you know, I can see someone who's 10 years younger than me, how much they use it. And then, you know, like 20, you know, teenagers now is like, they're, you know, so there's this, yeah, it's like constantly on it. So, and I probably, I would have 100% been the same way. I mean, I, I love tech, so I would have, you know, I, for me, it was just like, a, I can't remember the first computer I used, but I was obsessed with computers. I mean, I was just like, they're just too big to to carry around. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of see it. And it, I mean, when I started traveling, kind of when I started blogging and traveling, I had, I just had an iPod. So I had like an iPod Touch. That was my phone for years. I never had a phone. And I was like, I resisted. And now I can't. Now I'm just, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I started traveling, I had I had an iPod Touch, which was nothing. I, mm -hmm. I actually, I'm not even sure I had that. I had a flip phone. That's it. And, and I didn't even, you know, I didn't text. I didn't, I'm not even sure how I managed the SIM card situation, but I guess I did. Um, and that, and that was it. And in fact, I was really late to the game. I think my first smartphone I got in 2012, 13, 14, somewhere around there. And the first time I ever actually had a data connection, which was 
revolutionary for me. Oh my God, 24 seven connectivity anywhere I am at any time was uh, 2016. So I was even late to that game. And I remember each step being like, whoa, this is, you know, like this, the move from the flip phone to the smartphone was like, oh my gosh, there's all this stuff on my phone. But I also didn't know what to do with it, you know? And a teenager at the, that I knew at the same time who also had a phone, I mean, she, she lived and died by this phone. She breathed by the phone. Whereas I hadn't quite figured out how it would actually help me live my life. It was just kind of a, a novelty that, you know, made some things more convenient. But then over the years, the dependency was, was certainly created. Um, and like you, I don't use my phone nearly as much as, as someone, get off my lawn, years younger, <laughs> would do so. And, and, uh, but again, I, I do think that going forward, I think that we are realizing, and the pandemic, unfortunately, has um, even more um, grabbed a hold of us in terms of our reliance and dependence on technology. But I think we're also seeing the, the flip side of that, the fact that too much connection actually leads to disconnection. Uh, and that in, in fact, there's, we have to find more constructive ways to, to use it in our lives. Otherwise, uh, you know, the, our own emotional and mental health uh, is going to be affected. And that trickles into uh, all of society in, in uh, really unpleasant ways. I like that video calls have kind of made a comeback. You know, I, I was hesitant. I don't, normally I don't, I'm just like, I don't want to be on video like for a call, but now I kind of like it. Like with my family, it just, it's, it's nicer. It's like we're using the technology to its fullest potential a little bit. It's just nicer to, to see people. It makes things easier. I mean, we're, this is an audio podcast, but we're on video. So we, I can kind of see each other's reactions and, you know, makes, it's just nicer, I think, and, you know, it's just more feedback. So I like that that's made a comeback. I feel like everybody was just hiding behind text messages and now, um, so that's good. Um, so, I mean, how has this pandemic affected your work? You know, what, you, what, what you're writing and anything that you're doing? I mean, it's, I think it's, it's been just sort of an atomic bomb for a lot of industries, but uh, yeah. travel is, yeah, one <laughs> Probably one of the worst hit industries, I'd have to say. Yeah, it's been, uh, <laughs> I, it's been hard. It's been really hard. So uh, I was uh, in Greece when the pandemic really started uh, getting some legs. Uh, I'd been spending the winter in Greece. And uh, Europe was a little bit ahead of um, North America in regards to seeing the writing on the wall. Uh, so I, I was looking around and, and Greece had canceled Carnival, which is their biggest uh, celebration of the year. And, and quite, quite frankly, you know, uh, you, you don't tell a Greek person that they can't party. Like that was big. Um, Paris had closed the Louvre. Uh, Italy had also canceled Carnival. Again, don't tell them what to do. And, but they did. And so I thought, Ooh, you know, I don't really want to get stuck here. So, um, my boyfriend and I uh, were there. He was American. I'm Canadian. So we decided in lieu of getting stuck in Greece, we would head back uh, early. So this was early March. This was before everything went sideways, like a week before everything went sideways. Right. And so my boyfriend returned to, he was staying with his family in California, which he thought was just going to be like a few weeks. And then he'd come up to Canada to join me. Well, <clears throat> here we are seven months later and he's still in the States uh, because of course he can't get up here now, uh, which uh, is unfortunate. Um, 
So I have been back in Canada since early March, uh, and we're recording this in, oh God, what is it, late September. So it's been a while. Um, I had planned on spending the summer in uh, and around this area anyway, so it, it's not the, the hardship for a traveler that someone might imagine, but... I had also planned on doing lots of little trips. You know, I was I was certainly going to do a lot more domestic travel and and little adventures here and there. Uh, I had three conferences in various uh, countries that I was going to speak at that all got cancelled. So certainly uh, those travel plans all got obliterated. With that, of course, with the travel industry ultimately collapsing, uh, or at least coming to an abrupt halt, so too did my website and uh, a lot of the activities in my own online business. Uh, so definitely took a hit there. Uh, and uh, anyone who's a content creator knows that we live and die by Google algorithms. So uh, I, in, in, so in March, 50% of my traffic got hit with the, the slowdown uh, or the stop in travel. In May, another 50% got slashed with the Google algorithm update. So it was like kicking me when I was down. Uh, I went from a banner month in February, which was my all-time best month of online business, to just uh, just an atrocious fraction thereof uh, of business. So obviously that uh, has forced me and every other travel content creator to mm, think about the future uh, and whatever that might be, uh, you know, is, uh, is travel going to come back? Uh, if so, when is my business going to come back? If so, when, uh, what do I need to change? What do I want to change? So uh, I initially came out of the lockdown gate strong and I was like, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to be healthy. I've got my morning routine and I'm, I'm going to write a book. This is what I'm going to do. And, and, and I did. Uh, well, I got 120,000 words into a memoir before realizing that it was a runaway train that had more than run away from me. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first author to get knocked around by my own book. Um, but somewhere, um, <laughs> somewhere around the 120,000 word mark, I, I, everything just kind of fell apart for me. And that was probably about three or four months into the uh, pandemic uh, and it was it was a cumulative thing right there's uh, I, I am here i have a home i have an apartment it's lovely uh toronto is the city that i grew up in so i have uh, a small but very important uh, group of family and friends but we were locked down so i was completely isolated and as much as i'm an introvert uh I apparently three months was my limit uh and just, you know, the business, the isolation, the stress of the, the condition of the world and where we're at, it, it all just kind of went bop, 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 boom. And I just <laughs> had to stop everything. And with a dose of retrospect on that, because now we're a few months past that event, um, I did see it as an opportunity. Uh, in the same way that the world and the environment uh, you know, in the same way that the world has stopped traveling and the environment has had a chance to recover and flourish again, uh, and people have had a chance to to just hit pause on everything, I was then also able to hit pause uh, on everything that I'm doing in my own life. Uh, and granted, that pause button looked a lot like me feeling sorry for myself and licking my wounds. By the same token, I think that it was a 
I had started to feel like with regards to the online world and my online, my, my content creation business, my online business, that I was kind of dancing to stay atop a snowball that was starting to kind of get out of control. I had a lot of things going on in a lot of different ways. And I, I, I was just, I was doing the dance, but I'm not sure how long that would ultimately have been maintainable. Uh, and I, as a slight workaholic, uh, I am slightly um, prone to burning out, which I've done a few times. So I think this was a great chance for me to press pause. Okay, stop, Nora, chill. Just, just you know, you're, you're not going to be homeless anytime soon. I knew that I had some savings in the bank from previous month's earnings where I hadn't spent what I earned. I knew that I would be okay. Breathe. And uh, I actually found some, recently found some new inspiration, which is very exciting for me in, in the form of a podcast. I'm, I'm taken to the podcast world, me and 50 million other people, but yeah. I, I am excited to be uh, launching a new podcast. It's called The League of Extraordinary Travelers. Uh, I'm launching it with Gary Arndt, who is uh, another very longstanding, very well-known world traveler. And uh, we have a, a Facebook group that is going to be a, an interactive component to the podcast uh, Facebook group has the same name League of the League of Extraordinary Travelers and that has I don't think necessarily I'd have reached the point where I would be uh, I, I don't know that that opportunity would have come to me if I hadn't just stopped and pressed pause on my life and my career for a little while and just allowed myself to be and to breathe and to figure out just wait for the next Bit of inspiration to figure out where the next line of inspiration could come from. So it is a blessing at the end of the day. Um, am, am I itching to travel again? Yeah. Uh, and earlier you did ask what, you know, when is it, when are we all going to start traveling or when do we individually feel it would be appropriate to travel again? I am feeling, you know, to each his own. And I am not going to travel shame anybody. If somebody feels that they are able to travel right now and that they're doing it responsibly and, and in a way that, that um, is good for them and the environment around them, uh, I'm not going to shame them. Uh, for myself, uh, I'm not quite there. But that said, I am also planning to spend the winter abroad. And part of that is because, of course, I have been separated from my boyfriend since March. Uh, the U.S.-Canada border is not likely to open. Uh, I can go down into the U.S., uh, although, to be perfectly honest, it's not my preference uh, for this winter. Um, but where we can go is going to depend on where Americans are allowed to travel this winter, which also seems to be a moving target. Um, but at the moment, there are certainly some areas. Uh, you know, you mentioned that, what was it, Albania, Turkey, somewhere else. Um, I think the, the hit list that we have right now that we're considering is uh, Croatia uh, or Turkey or Belize or Aruba. So obviously not all in one trip. We would choose one location and spend the winter there. Um, and that, I, I'm meandering a lot, but I, I'm going to cap that off with the idea that you, you, we started this conversation talking about whether or not digital nomadism is dead. And, and I, I suggested that perhaps actually it's only taking form now and it's only coming alive now. And I think that that is evidenced in uh, the fact that there are a lot of countries out there that are now offering long stay visas for digital nomads or for, for remote workers. 
right? Not for digital nomads necessarily, for remote workers, for people who have the ability to work remotely. Barbados, Estonia, Georgia, um, Aruba, uh, Thailand. There's an ever-increasing list now of countries that are opening their borders or will be opening their borders. And when they do so, they're creating special opportunities for people to stay for a longer period of time and to have that immersive experience that you and I were talking about. Go to the grocery store. Don't just hit up the superfluous sites. Don't just visit the over-touristed place. But because you can work remotely, stay for a while. And I think that this is the birth of, of a new, and I think that this will in turn play into a more intentional and ultimately socially and environmentally responsible form of travel. Yeah, I, I really like the way that you put that. I, I, I hadn't thought about it like in that, in, in that sense, but it, I have noticed countries are now, because before, if you were like, I want to stay in this country for three months, it would look at you like, you're, I mean, the countries, the governments, I could tell, like, you know, the old guard would look at you like, why? What are you going to do? What crimes are you going to commit? Why? Who? What are you? you exactly. Know? <laughs> but now they kind of get it. And uh, I think years ago, I wrote an article about, you know, a, a lot of the tourism industry in the past had catered toward luxury travel. But when you look at the margins, backpackers and budget travelers spend way more because they stay longer. So they, they actually have more of an impact than somebody who's going to a resort for a weekend or a week or whatever. And so I think it's And good. their impact is local, as opposed to the tourism leakage is a new term that's come out uh, that I'm not sure you're familiar with, but it's the idea that the tourism dollars, the dollars you are spending on your trip actually are not going into the local economy. They're leaking out to foreign-owned companies and conglomerates. Versus if you are staying for a while, that money that you spend there is being spent locally and that will actually benefit the local economy. Oh, that's yeah. I hadn't heard about that. I hadn't heard that term. So yeah, that makes sense. And I, I think now if people have been itching to take that one month trip or two months or whatever, when they feel ready, I think it'd be really good. I, there are three or four countries on my list in my mind that I've already been to that now, you know, if, if we just snapped and said, okay, travel is open and we can go everywhere. I'd probably go back to a country I've been to multiple times. It would probably Spain, maybe Scotland. I would love to go back. I, I could just keep going. If I were limited, you know, I could just go to those countries. But as somebody who is slightly biased, I would recommend that for your winter trip, Turkey is a very good deal right now. Uh, so the, the exchange rates are great um, and great place to travel. So, so that begs the question, when do you think you'll take off to again and where will you go? Hmm. Good question. So I will be in the U.S. for the election. I will be, you know, in Washington, D.C. for that. I feel, feel that's a travel experience that I can video or, or somehow attend. Um, and then after that, I don't know. So I'm kind of in this situation where I'm like, okay, well, I should probably go back to Istanbul, and, you know, kind of get sort of home. And, and, and then at the same time, I feel like a lockdown might happen again there, I think, in the near future. So I'm not 100% sure, honestly. You know, I, I have been eyeing some Mexico flights, to be honest. I've been thinking <laughs> maybe go down to Mexico. It's probably not, again, maybe the best idea, but um, it, it might be some interesting content there. That's how, sort of my thinking. 
but I think like you, uh, there's a lot's going to happen in the next few months. So like you, I'm, I'm just sitting back. I do, I want to go away for the winter. I'm planning to go away for the winter, but I also think that enough is going to happen in the next few months that I'm just chilling and I'm just keeping an eye on what's happening. Uh, because I, I think that even two, three months from now, we might be looking at a bit of a different environment. You know, a lot of countries now are reporting the official second wave. Okay, great. How bad is that going to look? And how is that going to affect daily life uh, and borders and, and lots of things that I think at this stage of the game, I think you and I, before we, we um, started recording, I think we started talking about how perhaps some countries are a little too enthusiastic in, in trying to welcome tourists back. Uh, and I think that that might be true. I think that some countries might ratchet back their, their enthusiasm a little bit, uh, depending on how the numbers roll. And depending on how things go, there's a fine balance between crippling the world economy and uh, enabling a pandemic to to take wings that you know are avoidable. So a lot to figure out in the in the coming months, as well as frankly the coming years. Yeah, I think right now at least my strategy is don't rush anything. So yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. Everybody you know has an opinion as to how it's going to go, but. I don't think it's going to be a quick change. At least, you know, it doesn't seem like, you know, the things are just going to magically change and their, you know, economic impacts of travel and the, the countries are all doing different things. So I figure it's a good time to just kind of wait and see. And in a way, you know, having gotten used to, if, if this were 10 years ago and I was in the digital, you know, like nomad, like running around phase, I probably would have had no idea what to do. Like I would have just been like, oh, there's nothing I can do, like, you know, and stressed out for no reason. But now I, I like the constraints that it's put on me because it caused me to be more creative with what I do. Um, mm -hmm. And I realized that people, like I just took a flight from Istanbul to the US. So I just, I made a video about it, a video to the whole thing and people found it very helpful, for example. I would have never thought to do that, you know, just showing what it's like, just telling what it's like, you know, these kind of things. So it's kind of giving me some more creative constraints, which I, I kind of like, you know, it's just a challenge. And uh, I know we'll be traveling eventually. It just might not be, well, it won't be, probably won't be this year, <laughs> like normal. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not next year. I think, I think vaccine, I think when the vaccine, if there's a vaccine, then, you know, things will start to, we'll be able to be, kind of put together like okay now things can kind of get normal again but i don't think we're close well like you say out of adversity comes opportunity uh, and uh, and i i think this is to to try to put a um a silver lining to uh and ultimately catastrophic world event uh to to see it as an opportunity to to really take a hard look at at what we're doing collectively and individually, uh, and to see the new opportunities. So you saw an opportunity to, to, uh, to and I watched that video uh, of what it was like to, to fly uh, or listen to it. Uh, it was a podcast, I think. Um, and yeah, it was fascinating, you know, for you to describe that experience. Uh, so I think that there's lots of different ways that we can, uh, we can continue to innovate. Uh, and it just, uh, it, you know, like I said, out of adversity comes opportunity. You just have well, to see it. I'm excited to hear your podcast. Um, I love podcasting. I've, the, the feedback you get from people is so different than any other medium. And I think it's because you're in people's ears and you, you get just really like long messages, like emails, like 
people just talking about it. It's kind of weird to, you know, know that people are listening to you, but um, <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's great. And I think long form is so good for travel. I think it's just so many things that just don't fit on Instagram or even a blog post, you know, I mean, how long can you make a blog post really? So uh, I'm excited. Totally. I will, uh, is, the, are the, is it live yet or are the links ready? It is being launched, uh, but the, it does now exist uh, on Apple, wherever you cast your pod. If you search for the League of Extraordinary Travelers, it is there. Uh, and uh, But we have yet to launch our, our first episode. That's uh, a long story. But um, also, too, you can find us on the Facebook group, uh, the League of Extraordinary Travelers, and, and, and you will definitely know what we're launching and when uh, from interacting on the Facebook group, which is uh, almost 5,000 people strong. So it's definitely a great people to interact with well-traveled, uh, enthusiastic folk. Well, great. I will, I will uh, link to that in the show notes and then everywhere you're listening to this podcast, I'll leave the links. Uh, I will check it out. I'm excited. So you've got, uh, I will, I will subscribe uh, everywhere. I listen to podcasts <laughs> and um, I think, thank you very much. I think, you've kind of given me a more optimistic look at the, at the situation maybe, or, or looking at angles of this that I hadn't seen before. So not the death of digital nomadism, but maybe just the, the infancy of it we're seeing, you know, the, the real infancy. Yeah. So cool. I like it. That's a good way of reframing <laughs> it. And I'm glad that I was able to help you, uh, to help you do that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put a different spin on this and see what happens. <laughs> Well, thanks again, uh, Nora. I'll link to all of your, your site, your Twitter, podcast, all of that in the show notes. Uh, thanks again for being a guest and we'll have to do this again sometime. Cool. Thank you. And it's been a lot of fun hanging out. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. Thank you, Nora, for being a guest and for your time and your insights. I really enjoyed the conversation and I know all of you listening have enjoyed the conversation a lot as well. Don't forget, if you haven't, make sure you check out Nora's new podcast. Again, the League of Extraordinary Travelers podcast. All those links in the show notes. Thank you very much for all of your support. I, I say it at the end of pretty much every episode, but it's well worth repeating. Thanks to all of you for listening and your support and your feedback. And I will see you in the next episode. Well, I, actually, wait, wait, hold on. I won't see you. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Yeah, that's right. All right. Bye.